Welcome into the Illini cast. Austin Berklin alongside Sonny Verma, and we have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about all things Illini football signing day, the strategies laid in part by the staff of Brett Bielema, and a little bit of Illini basketball talk at the end. But I want to welcome my co-host, Sonny Verma. Sonny, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Uh, you know, I woke up in a decent mood and uh, post signing day, I think uh, I'm in a little bit better mood. How about you, Austin? Yeah, I mean, it's a different type of year because you look at just the straight recruiting rankings and Illinois is 14th out of the new 18 team Big Ten. But you've got to be happy that Brett Bielema is still raising the bar of recruiting uh, over and over and over again. So that's always good to see. But you do wonder, are you keeping up with the Joneses truly? So that's a conversation I know we'll have uh, in this podcast. But overall, doing well. I mean, the holidays are coming up uh, rather quickly and got all my Christmas shopping done and just ready to hang out, be with family and uh, eat some sugar cookies that my mom made. (laughs) Yeah, I I think I'm going to my in-laws for Christmas and... uh... When those Christmas gifts are opened up, I'll be just as surprised as everyone else as what's in in those boxes because my wife does all the shopping and she just uh, uses a credit card. So we'll, we'll, it'll be a Christmas surprise for all of us. Hey, that's always good. Uh, surprises are what the season is all about. And I'll tell you what, Brett Bielema got a surprise with the Michigan State offensive lineman. How about that? Not just one, two surprises. Um What's his name? J.C. Davis, uh, the one that Doug yeah. had committed earlier, and uh, uh, Wigginton. It's uh, you know, it's the two lines were kind of the facets of the team that I was kind of most worried about. Uh, that, along with defensive backs, uh, coming into the off season, you know, and now after you know all the moves that have been made, at least today, and you know, Brett obviously during his press conference said that there's more to come. I think I'm kind of content on with both sides of the ball uh, when it comes to the lines now. I think, you know, I was super nervous. We saw how bad our team uh, can be in the first four or five games last year without having someone at that left tackle spot. And now having Davis come in and play that left tackle spot, it's just going to be – it's something we don't have to worry about. You know, he's a Mountain West All-American. You know, he, he was like graded number 22 – tackle in the country or something like that it's nice it's good you know because luke is going to need that time uh you know we're, we'll talk about it later but you know our offense you know obviously uh, we haven't talked about the other big news about isaiah williams leaving but you know our offense at least at the skill position still i think i'm more confident about than the defensive side so you know it's going to be interesting but you know the, the one thing i'm glad uh that I don't think I have to worry as much about right now is our offensive line coming into next season. Yeah. I mean, Wigginton and then uh, the new, uh, again, then the other offensive lineman coming in. I mean, that is a great duo for uh, some quick development for Brett Bielema. And then on the opposite side of the ball, in terms of transfers, Anthony Johnson coming in uh, from Youngstown state. And I know we lost Quincy Patterson, the, commit out of Yale uh, after the official Clay visit. Patterson. Clay Patterson. Yes, yeah. that's right. Uh, Clay Patterson leaving. That was a little jarring to see, but knowing that you have another defensive lineman in Anthony Johnson, uh, the transfer market 
has gone better this year than I think it has than last year. Well, we hope so. You know, uh, we kind of struck out on basically all everyone we tried for the transfer market last year. So, um, you know, I think what we've done this year is went less after raw prospects and went after guys who were established, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Who you just said, um, Anthony Johnson, he, yep. uh, you know, he was established, uh, who's the guy who just led the country in sacks, you know, like, oh, yeah. you know, these guys are all guys who, um, Mario Williams, you know, second all American in the NGCAA, I think they call it. It's these yep. guys are proven commodities at that level. And we're just asking them to bump it up a level as opposed to guys who whose traits we saw last year who had good intangibles but we i don't know I, i'm not sure what the decision process was I, I guess we decided that maybe we can develop them but that just doesn't make very much sense because you know you have less time to develop the transfers you know at least with uh, freshmen you have them for five or six years with transfers you have you know, two or three years. And so, you know, maybe, you know, uh, in their second year, they're going to be able to provide a little bit more. But um, as of now, I think they may have adjusted their strategy, which is all you and I were kind of begging them to do. And at least as of right now on, uh, you know, December 20th, the first signing day open, I'm actually okay with uh, how things are going. I mean, we have the sax leader in the Juco ranks, Daniel Brown, we have the receptions leader uh, of Juco in Mario Sanders. I mean, that is a great duo of Juco players that have added production. We've seen the Juco ranks fail before under the likes of Tim Beckman. But I feel like this is a different class of Juco players that you're getting into. You're not getting into the second tier to third tier Juco ranks. These are the top of the top guys of all of juco football and then you pair them with some great veterans in the in the transfer portal of power five to power five transfers or at least group of five to power five transfers i mean this is the kind of way that brett bielema is going to have to build until he has sustained success then you can go after some of the heavy heavy hitters of the transfer portal that uh the likes of Ohio State and the likes of Michigan can start to get into. I mean, it's these kind of foundational transfers that lead you into the next uh, sphere of the transfer market. Yeah, and it's just nice that we're getting guys that other people are battling. You know, last year, you know, a lot of the transfers we're getting, um, you know, obviously at the end of the lovey years, were just guys that where we were the only power five offers. We we're identifying talent but we're not the only ones identifying it at the level that we're at. Um, which is why, again, I'm not, you know, I know there's a lot of Debbie Downers out there about, you know, our classes ranked out of 14th or 15th um, in the conference. But uh, kind of like what you're saying is I think this is almost a purposeful uh, strategy by Brett. Um, we talked about this a little bit on the last time you and I were together. I think Brett knows that with our NIL availability that he can't go up against the Oregon's against the Ohio States, the big teams like that. So what can he do? And I think he's just trying to basically discover a market inefficiency and take advantage of it right now. He doesn't need to win 10 games next year. 
He doesn't need to win 11 games next year. What he needs to do, all his fan base really wants at this point, is let's be a consistent bowl team. And if we have good players playing in the, in, you know, the positions on the football field and we can get six, seven wins, I think incrementally we can start getting better talent. Because, yeah, do we need more four stars uh, eventually in our recruiting classes? Absolutely. But I think what he's doing right now, and, uh, you know, I'm maybe I'm, you know, fool, this is going to be a fool me twice situation. We'll see halfway through the season. But I think, you know, um, using our NIL funds and kind of concentrating it on more established guys, uh, both in the locker room and what it look, seems to be um, guys from other Power Five uh, programs. You know, Wigginton has two years of eligibility left. He play, he started a half a dozen games for Michigan State. I think he's looking for more proven guys with maybe possibly lower ceilings right now, but he'll work on the ceilings a little bit later. He's trying to establish a higher floor for the Illini. I mean, you look at the overall rankings of this class. Illinois is 43rd in the country. I like to break these down almost in tiers. Like, because is there truly a difference between having the number one class and the number two class in the country? Not really, unless you're talking about that special LSU team with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, uh, Justin Jefferson, the list goes on. Most classes are going to be pretty similar in nature between like different tiers. And you look at who the number 35, no, number 36 team in the country is the Washington Huskies who are in the college football playoff right now. Illinois is only a few slots behind them. Similar commitment numbers. Washington has 16. Illinois has 19. So you look at those kind of rankings there are there's not too much of a difference i mean i think i myself like to get in like to haggle about different rankings and things like that like why is fau ahead of illinois after fau lost illinois those kind of things but the similar tiers is what keeps me from like jumping off a cliff of this alani class because you're with some of your fellow counterparts of teams that you should be competing with like mississippi state like Kansas under Lance Leipold, Washington. I mean, it's not like you're way down below Akron and Toledo and different Mac schools of class rankings. So Illinois is kind of in line where they need to be to compete. Now it's up to Brett Bielema to coach these guys up. I look at it very similar to you, actually, but not really on a national scale, but more on a Big Ten scale. Um, you know, the last three years that Lovey was here, we were either last or second to last directors when it came to, you know, conference recruiting. Uh, you know, it's, the stat has been going around that uh, Brett has, you know, three top 50 classes um, in his first three years, whereas we barely had any in like the 10 years before that. Um, the way I'm looking at his uh, tiers is when we, when Brett was hired uh, exactly three years ago today, actually, um, we were at the bottom, bottom in the big time when it came to recruiting. And now I guess next year uh, we, we're going to have 18. So let's just do rough math. If you separate into like fours or fives right now, we're at the top of that fourth tier right now. Our goal just needs to be in that third tier. All yep. right. Right now we're battling, you know, uh, the, the Northwesterns, uh, Purdue, uh, UCLA actually has a worse class than we do. Um, 
that's but we're we're on top of them and that's it, why i'm it's not maryland and minnesota that you're trying to pass and sure, yeah and uh you know i, I know iowa's uh, class is not you know super highly ranked but it's one of those where i don't think we've fallen behind compared to where we were three years ago if fans you know listening to this or you know reading on twitter if your goal is to you know finish 15th in recruiting or 21st in recruiting we just we we're not that kind of school at least not yet it's going to take some time um, a lot more money you know if this bothers you sign up for icon make your donations tell your friends but right now i think our success is going to be in a slow incremental level you know next year yeah let's get into that third tier you know and then let's work our way up that third tier because i genuinely feel like we do have the coaching in place to coach the guys up that we have unfortunately we're not bringing that you know the high talent in there to get coached up to be in that you know uh 10 11 win um uh tier yet but i think just the way we're going uh brett's doing what he uh, was hired to do uh, not as quickly as most of us want him to do it but you know Again, we're at the top of the fourth tier right now, which again, it's not, you, you would, I can understand your frustration if you're like, hey, this is third year, we should be beyond that. But I mean, when he was hired, he, you know, he got in a lo- lot of trouble for saying that we had zero offensive linemen. You know, Lovey, you know, for all his faults, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, he recruited some gems, you know, Newton, Randolph, Isaiah Williams, but there was zero depth after that. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the what we've been suffering through the last couple of years. Now, our floor has been raised. I genuinely believe that. I think, you know, almost every guy that we have is a power five talent, which I don't think I would have said four, four seasons ago. So now that we've raised the floor, it's about developing those guys and slowly raising the floor so that, as you said, we're battling, you know, the Minnesotas and Maryland's and we can kind of leave the Purdue's and Northwestern's uh, behind. I mean, building a college football roster is very similar to looking at how an MLB organization is built. You look at the Los Angeles Angels. They had Shohei Otani and Mike Trout never made any noise in the playoffs. If you look at a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, not a lot of star power. They moneyball it, but they get results constantly. And they do it uh, besides uh, the way that Ohio State built builds their program. Like, that's what Illinois can possibly do under Brett Bielema is constantly just build depth of a team as opposed to insane star power right away. That will come with wins. And I saw a comment on a message board and I thought it was rather interesting about NIL sponsors for Illinois football. These college of business graduates, they, they like to buy winners. They love to invest in winning companies, in, in invest in winning people, invest in innovative ideas. Right now, Illinois is not a winner in their eyes. I think if Illinois becomes a winner, these college of business grads will start to flock to them because they see a winner. They see a way that it can build them happiness instead of total money because it's not really how that operates too much. But I think once those wins come in three years where they're constantly a bowl game team, I think those college of business people will be like, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in this. How can I help get this to the next level? I've already seen them win. 
I, now I, I want more. So I think that's kind of how Illinois football is going to have to build is a money ball way with a depth of talent instead of the high-end guys. And Lovey Smith, he just tried to get those high-end guys like Joshi Matur Bebe, Owole Batiku, those guys. That was it. Other After that, not a lot of talent on those teams. Yeah. Uh, it's just consistent winning. You know, it's uh, finishing five and seven. You and I both talked about how disappointing that was, even having no bowl game because we're so close. We were on this cusp of, you know, folks getting excited about, you know, back-to-back bowl, bowl uh, you know, appearances. It's, you know, I'm not sure what it's going to take, but right now I just think the six, six and six, seven and, you know, fives or whatever it might take it might, you know it might just take luke you know jumping a level you know i did my undergrad at uh, northern illinois and what got folks really excited about um and i because i went there with, during gareth wolf gareth wolf's heisman campaign you know niu is not exactly known as a traditionally you know uh, football rabid uh you know fan base by any stretch of the means but Almost every game I went to, the stands were full because everyone wanted to see this little guy, you know, book it for 85 yards and score a touchdown, you know. So, you know, we had Newton. We have Weatherspoon, but it's harder for guys on defense to be that guy. Like, I I do wonder if, like, you know, can Luke Altmaier make that jump and be, you know, considered one of the best quarterbacks in the, uh, in the conference? It may take more than conference. Caden Fagan? You know, I think he has a legit ability, especially with the offensive line that we're kind of building around him, to become a household name. But I think that's what Illinois kind of needs right now um, in order to get those business grads that you're talking about, um, you know, back into, you know, investing in the football program. But I just don't know if it coincides with the strategy that Brett has kind of, you know, maneuvered to. It just seems that, you know, and I, again, I side with, Brett. I get what he's, he's where he's going with this. Um, he needs to, he's not going to out recruit and outspend uh, a lot of the teams already in the conference and the, that are arriving from the West. So I think he's just like, you know what? I just, I need to get the best talent in here, any way I can get in, in here and coach them up. And then sooner, you know, once we're winning seven, eight games and we're beating our rivals, then We'll be able to guys the guys that we're battling this running back that we're battling uh, with against Purdue. We can say, hey, we've beaten Purdue. We've beaten Purdue two two times now. Okay, Purdue's still finishing last, second to last. Ryan Walters may not be around much longer, et cetera, et cetera. That's when we'll be able to push to get a higher level of talent here. Absolutely. I mean, they've already laid the groundwork uh, against teams like Minnesota. I know Minnesota is ahead of Illinois in the recruiting rankings, but. Two wins over Minnesota is absolutely huge. Or is it? No, it's three. Pardon me. Three wins against the team in Minnesota. So those kind of wins matter in terms of building up and going into that next tier, like you said, that tier three of the Big Ten. Now and let's Minnesota, go. Not to mention, Minnesota's lost a lot of players this offseason. Right. You know, there's, there's been a mass exodus out, out there. So not that I think, you know, um, PJ Flex seat is warm by any stretch of the imagination, but at least you can see now that there's a, a whispers going around. And, you know, with a solid six, seven wins, maybe eight win season for, for us, because the schedule, the schedule is going to actually allow it. 
it's there for to win six, seven games if we want to. Um, if we can establish that Brett's, you know, established he's not going anywhere, we're on a path. I think we can take some of the guys that Minnesota's currently taking from us, you know, and, and kind of basically leapfrog them. Let's go through some of the biggest gets of this Illini signing day in terms of the freshmen that are coming in next year. We have Khalil Valentine, the running back, interior offensive lineman, Andrew Dennis, uh, Vernon Woodward, the cornerback out of Florida, Eddie Turek out of Illinois, defensive lineman. Um, we have Trey Petty, the quarterback out of Starksville, Mississippi, Angela McCollum out of Ohio, as well as Ohio, his Ohio mate, Demetrius John. And then we have um, Easton Baker, the linebacker out of Utah as well. So what are your what is your number one rec- recruit that, that Brett Bielema brought in? I think um, – you know, I don't want to pick the obvious one in Dennis. Obviously, he's like our highest rated one. So I'm going to try to pick someone who has intangibles. And I'll say I'll say the quarterback, Trey Petty. Um, you know, just because I also want to talk about the quarterback room. This is probably the best quarterback room we've had in a pretty long time um, when it comes to, you know, one, two, and three. Uh, you know, hopefully Leary can make the leap to become a solid backup quarterback um, this upcoming season. But you know, Petty with his, you know, uh, his success the last two years, uh, they won the state championship last year. They came up just short this year. Uh, he seems to have the kind of tape that Barry Lenny Jr. wants. Um, I think he stays in the long haul because him and Altmeyer's family, uh, I've heard, are pretty close. So, you know, I, I, I love Luke. I, you know, we're both very big fans of his. And I, it'll be nice to not always have to find a transfer quarterback. So I'm kind of hoping, you know, Leary after uh, Altmaier's done or Petty, you know, as he's could be groomed to being, can be that guy where we can use our NIL funds. You know, you, you figure most of it goes to a quarterback. We can kind of spread it out to the other positions and, uh, you know, uh, kind of level those positions up. Um, you know, Daniel Brown, of course, well, he's a, the community uh, college guy, but – Trying to think who else, uh, who else we saw. Uh, Baker's film. I don't know if you watched any of that. He's just most. That was my answer. I love love Easton Baker's tape. I love, I know he's a little undersized, but I watched a lot of Nicobe Dean's Georgia tape after he got drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm not saying that. Easton Baker's going to turn into Nicobe Dean, one of the best linebackers in college football. But the dude plays with an aggression. He's like a missile coming out of his stance uh, to the running back, to the quarterback, or that wide receiver going into the slot. I, I love his athleticism that he has. I mean, I, I just feel like he's a guy tailor-made to play Big Ten football at the linebacker position, and not to mention the fact that Illinois and Andy Boo beat beat Oklahoma for the for the talents of Easton. And Oklahoma is a team that loves to scout linebackers. They are a team that knows what they want out of a linebacker. And for Illinois to take that over, that is amazing work by Andy. And I can't wait uh, to see him suit up in the orange and blue. He's one of those, you know, yeah, he was recruited by Oklahoma. But if he was two inches taller, 
he would have been recruited by the tier two, tier one guy uh, teams in the Big Ten. You know, so yeah, he isn't as big as you know. Uh, Aaron Henry talked about how he wants like six three, six four guys, but he has the other intangibles, and so that's why. Um, yeah, his. I think he his is a name that we'll be hearing a couple of years from now as one of our prominent defensive standouts. And a lot of other teams are going to be looking around like, who is this guy? How did we miss out on him? Because, I mean, I think it's 24-7. Like, they had him has rated as one of our lower-rated uh, individuals. And I just thought that was, you know, mind-boggling, at least from the tape that I saw. But then when I was reading a couple of scouting reports, a lot said he was a little undersized. And I'm just like, you know, well – Again, if he was six foot three, six foot four, he probably wouldn't be uh, signing with the Illinois Fighting Illini. So I'll take what I can get, and I, I think uh, we have the coaching staff to get to maximize his potential. And then we can't forget about Andrew Dennis. Uh, he is the lead dog, a ninety-two ranking according to twenty-four-seven, six-five, two hundred and seventy-five pounds. He's a guy that almost looks the part where he could play right away. Obviously. He probably won't because he's a freshman, but that's the type of talent that Brett Bielema can constantly bring in because he's just a offensive line guru. And I can't wait to see Brett's tutelage uh, get a hold of East, get a hold of him and really develop him and hopefully turn him into an all big 10 caliber player. The other guy who was slipping my mind uh, a couple minutes ago, who actually probably would have been my um, uh, answer uh, was Brandon Hansen, the first guy who signed with the Illini 18 months ago. Um, Brett, today during his press conference, talked about how he's uh, had teams in the college football playoff right now reach out to him, uh, you know, recently to try to, uh, you know, flip. But from what I've read, he's been very enthusiastic about being uh, an Illini. Um, him and Dennis have kind of teamed up and they've gotten along really, really well. And if those two, I mean, Brandon's 6'6", 290, and he's 18 years old. You know, imagine, you know, in a couple off seasons with Tank getting, getting a hold of him. Um, you know, obviously our offensive line that we've been recruiting has already been pretty massive to begin with. But I think he can be um, kind of that cornerstone uh, in a year or two, uh, along with Dennis, along with some of the other guys who recruited the last couple of years, where um, we won't necessarily be looking to constantly refill that line with, you know, transfer guys. Uh, we, we've been doing it lately because of, again, what we discussed earlier, Lovey not re- really leaving us much depth and basically stopped recruiting offensive line for a while. Um, but again, again, that leads to us being able to do- divert those funds. <laughs> towards uh you know uh, other weaknesses in uh, that we might have uh, another guy that i'm excited about is khalil valentine i mean obviously a uh, four-star three-star kind of talent at the running back position but him and Caden can really form a thunder and lightning approach in the backfield next year where i think he is probably the most immediate impact player that illinois got in, in the recruiting class this year and I think it's, it's super important. You know, this is why uh, I'm so satisfied with the two offensive linemen we brought in today. You know, two what I perceive to be starters on our team. Um, I love our running backs room. You know, as long as, you know, those guys can stay healthy, which, of course, you know, last year they didn't. So I guess that is a question mark. But with Luke, with another year of experience, with a decent uh, uh, offensive line in front of him, 
it'll be nice to have just running back after running back after running back just to hand the ball to and just kind of wear teams down because we've talked about the size of our offensive line here. You know, those guys are big maulers. And so, you know, it'll give time for one of the other receivers to try to step up um, next to Pat Bryant. You know, just we want some sort of offensive identity. And, you know, we talked about it for the first six uh, weeks last season. What is our identity? What is our identity? Uh, Khalil well- Valentine, as you said, kind of gives the yin to the yang. Uh, of Caden Fagan and can kind of give the offense some different looks. And, you know, we're talking about exciting players earlier to get the crowd excited by Valentine's one of those players. Uh, Another position that I'm kind of intrigued about this uh, 2024 class is the wide receiver room. You're losing Casey Washington. You're losing Isaiah Williams, but I I like Mario Sanders tape and um, I like getting Carlos Orr, who is the second highest uh, rated player in this class. So I think Illinois did a decent job of kind of stocking back up. I think they need like one more piece in the transfer portal, but the likes of Malik Elzey, Carlos Orr and Mario Sanders, I think that's a decent uh, looking wide receiver room, um, even compared to what you had last year. At least if uh, Malik Elzey can make that leap, you know, and as kind of establish himself as a, D, a starter, you know, if Pat Bryant can get what, 800 yards, 900 yards as uh, our WR1, and Malik Elzey can step into that number two role, I think, you know, we have, we've shown enough depth uh, from the like, last uh, couple of games last year where we have some young guys with talent. Do I wish we had Isaiah Williams back? Absolutely. Like that's, the one guy who's announced, you know, I knew the law firm were going to leave. Um, you know, Newton absolutely yeah. should have. And Randolph, you know, it was 50-50. You know, I, I could have understood if he decided to stay, but I can totally understand if he wanted to leave. I think Isaiah Williams, if he were to stay, would have, like, raised our ceiling by at least a game or two just by himself. Because um, then I think we'd have a great – wide receiver room and running backs and a good quarterback. And now, you know, good offensive line. We'd have a very top half uh, best offensive line in our conference at minimum. Obviously he's gone. So we're going to be counting on that development uh, of that wide receiver room a little bit. So yeah, you know, bringing in uh, second All-American, I think he was. Um, it's it's nice to have a couple of guys. It's just, I don't want to, it's, you know, at least they're established. You know, I, I just hope we get more out of them this year. Unlike what we didn't get last year. Offensively though, a huge hole that still leaves a lot to be desired is the tight end room. They've struggled in the transfer portal, snagging a couple guys. Tip Ryman is headed to the NFL and um, Carson Conkle in Illinois, just didn't see eye to eye. All you have is Tanner Hollinger coming into a tight end room with Henry Boyer probably leading the charge right now. So a lot to be desired uh, from this tight end room, and I don't really understand why that hole is the hardest to fill right now. It's almost like the John Gross point guard where he has a great history of point guards, but why can't he fill it at Illinois? Brett Bielema has a great history of tight ends, why can't he fill it at Illinois? So it's it's a really weird situation why that position has become a, a big hole for the Illini. I agree. Uh, I think that's probably my second biggest uh, 
area of concern right now behind uh, defensive back. I I I think when Brett said that you know they still plan on bringing in more guys, I think that's kind of what he meant. Um, there's going to be other guys, you know, possibly this week who are going to enter the transfer portal, or at the very least, um, after the spring game when that second uh, window opens, that are going to realize that they're not at the depth chart that they want to be at, and they're going to kind of focus in on the position then but i agree it's uh it befuddles me i don't quite understand like you know if i'm a tight end brett is absolutely one of the coaches i would love to play for just uh, you know i, I look at tip, tip ryman's story he's a walk-on he's a yep. walk-on now just a couple years later he's developed under this coaching staff to the point where he's even able to announce for the nfl draft now you know I, for me i don't understand why a three four-star guy who has the uh, physical size traits doesn't see a story like that and be like, yeah, I want to be coached uh, under that guy. So kind of perplexes me too. What would you give Brett Bielema and his staff? What grade would you give him and his staff for the class? And I know the transfer story isn't over yet, but so far, what would you give him before the final exam? I know when we're in uh, past semester exam time. So what would be that uh, grade before the final exam? I think we're at like an 83%. You know, um, two of my biggest concerns, uh, as I was saying earlier, are taken care of. So I don't think it's going to fall below a like a B or B minus. But it's not an A yet because I'm still worried about who we're going to have in our secondary. You know, I, it's not... We, we haven't recruited the high end, the four or five. Um, I won't even consider the five stars yet, but, you know, the multiple four stars yet. So, again, it's hard for me to give an A. But I think with the way the team looked like uh, coming into the offseason, I had legit concerns that the floor of this team was like three wins next year. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think we're, a, you know, Probably a four-five win team, and you know, and that's just because of uh, of the less concern I have on the two sides of the ball when it comes to the lines. But now we have an opportunity to increase that if we fix that secondary. You know, and you know, the big question I'm sure we're going to talk about this offseason is like, you know, what adjustments does that defense make? Like, what does you know, Brett and Aaron Henry talked about in their closeout press conferences how we they think the teams have figured their defenses out. All right, so what does that mean? What kind of adjustments are going to be made? Are there going to be adjustments made? And so, you know, if Henry can kind of continue up, um, you know, on his trajectory as a defensive uh, coordinator and we can bring in some talent in, in the secondary, I think, you know, we can hit six, seven wins next year. Again, with that schedule, especially, I don't know if you heard the, or heard the rumor about us trying to get out of that Kansas game. You know, if we can hit six, seven wins, I think. Uh, I think that Kansas game is uh, sticking around because Illinois did release a comment that said there's no changes to the schedule. Yeah, but the Kansas guy responded to that. <laughs> I don't know if he saw, <laughs> he's like, I've seen uh, absolute official documentation of Kansas reaching out to other teams um, for that particular date. They they're just not announcing it because they haven't found the buy-in game yet. So I mean, I don't know. We'll see. You know, I. What do you think? Like, would you get out of the game? 
I mean, I wouldn't. I, I think it. I think it sets a bad precedent. I, I think if you just set the schedule with cupcakes, then that's fine. You're Michigan. You, that's how you schedule. It's but it's not like Michigan has ever like bought out a game against Texas or anything to get a cupcake on their schedule. So I, I would leave it just out of pure competitiveness, um, especially with a team that you might be competing with a lot of recruits for. You don't want to seem chicken uh, against playing tough competition um, for in the short term, but in the long term, just keep scheduling cupcakes. Um, so I think this is a short term need to keep that game. I think the short term need is to make a bowl game. And if we didn't play Kansas this year and played, you know, Western Kentucky instead, we'd be talking about which bowl game we're going to right now. And, uh, you know, the general tone around the program would be a little higher talking about back-to-back bowl games. So for me, like, uh, I think Kansas was the third game that we had next year, but the, you know, then it then becomes a gauntlet. Like there's like Nebraska, Michigan, Penn state, Oregon, like back-to-back-to-back, you know, and, the idea that at some point in the season we could be like one and four or two and five. I just think, you know, we're going to run into the same thing that happened this year. So for me, it's not about pride anymore. You know, Michigan, they can back out of these deals if they want, because they're going to win 10 games every year. Anyway, you know, their, their interest is not going to wane. We're at the bottom level. We need, we need those bowl games. Every, every win matters. Just get to six. So if I'm Josh, get out of that Kansas game. Get out of that Missouri game. Um, you know, we'll see how Duke is uh, now that um, their coach left. But uh, yeah, just give me three cupcakes. It's just until we establish ourselves uh, beyond what we are. I definitely see that. Um, but yeah, the Big Ten getting better in a lot of areas. I mean, I just want to hit on one team in particular, and that's uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I mean, flipping uh, Rayola from Georgia. I mean, Matt Rule has got it going on right now. He is the guy that everyone thought like Luke Fickle would be. I know that Wisconsin has been decent in the recruiting trail, but right now it feels like Nebraska's uh, hot streak is here right now. And the difference between Matt Rule and, you know, other uh, Nebraska coaches who, you know, I mean, that program traditionally always brings in pretty high ranking classes is Matt rule. We've seen his coaching abilities. You know, he, we've seen the jumps his team make in year two. So Nebraska absolutely is going to be a team that um, is going to be another thorn in our side. And, you know, another team that we play next year. So hopefully, you know, we'll be able to take advantage of a young freshman quarterback, but yeah, you know, they got Rayola, they got, um, the top player out of Iowa, the state of Iowa, which, you know, almost is always a Hawkeye, but for two years in a row, uh, it, it won't be. So, you know, it's, it's Nebraska looks like that they've been handed the reins and more importantly, the, the, the checkbook to go out there and really do whatever it takes to be battling the Ohio States, the Oregons and whatnot. So they're recruiting at a different tier than we are. And uh, unfortunately for us, I think they got a uh, good coaching staff out there, except for their offensive coordinator. So I'm actually not that worried about last year. I, I've never been a fan of uh, what's the name, Satterfield. And yep. uh, I, I think, you know, he's a huge Achilles heel of theirs. But I think in 2025 and beyond, Nebraska is going to be a team to really be uh, afraid of. 
Illinois takes on Missouri in the bragging rights game coming up. I believe that is Friday, um, the 22nd. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it's going to look like if Illinois plays its best game possible. I think that has to start with Marcus Tomask because I think we know what Terrence Shannon can do on a nightly basis. He has shown the consistency uh, minus the second half against Tennessee. If Marcus Tomask shows up in the Enterprise Center and just completely dominates like he did against Florida Atlantic, where he's making shots, where he's playing some booty ball, where he's posting some guys up, I think this Missouri team is going to have a lot of problems. I think it starts with Marcus Damask uh, getting going. You know, I've been very adamant almost every episode um, that I, I like this team, but I'm afraid to see who that, like I want to see who that second guy is behind Shannon. Because, you know, as you just said, Shannon has been a complete stud almost all season long. He's made the leap that we asked him for. You know, he's going to be in contention for All-American. Um but now, I mean, if you're talking about back-to-back games where, like, Quincy Garrier has had good numbers. You know, Coleman Hawkins had good numbers. Ty Rogers had his best game of the season against Colgate. Uh, I'm kind of wondering if my line of thinking was off, that it may not be just a second guy. It might just be a good general supporting staff around Shannon. And so what I'm actually really hoping for is – one of those games where, yeah, Shannon might go for 21-22, but Garrier puts in 16. Domask puts in 13. Hawkins, 8. An all-around game where, you know, it's like you can't just uh, attack Shannon like Tennessee did because if you if all the guys are hitting their shots, what does that do for Shannon? That opens up the lanes for Shannon to put his head down and get to the rim. So I, I, I think now uh, – just because I don't know if we have a second guy guy, I kind of like the idea that maybe we're just going to have a bunch of guys who like three, four guys a night can be able to put up w, double figures for you. You know, Goody doesn't make mistakes. You don't want Damask to make mistakes. Just play a little isolation ball, booty ball with Damask, uh, whatever it might take. Get Ty Rogers, you know, his confidence up game by game, especially as we're about to head into conference uh, play season. But I think what I'm hoping for is not necessarily a second guy to step up Friday night against Missouri, but just an onslaught. Let's just finally, like, really grab their throats and take this series back. Let's win by 20-plus points. We we should. Talent-wise, we should. Talent and coaching-wise, I think, you know, we're clearly better than they are. But unfortunately for us, that's been the case for the last few years, too. And talent just – it doesn't matter in this series. It's, it, 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 you throw it out the window. So – um, yeah, what I'm looking forward to is just, you know, we have veteran leadership in this game. Last year, we had a bunch of freshmen in prominent roles uh, coming into this game. And that atmosphere can get pretty, you know, intimidating, pretty crazy. I think what makes me more confident about this this year's team as opposed to last year's team is because we have veterans in those roles, guys who've been in intense situations that they're not going to back down. And so I think you know, Missouri is kind of at t- Tennessee and okay. So Marquette, Tennessee were, you know, the first opportunities actually, you know, FAU, we've actually done pretty well with that. The more I think about yep. it. So the fact that we've established that we're not going to crumble under the spotlights, you know, whether it's Madison square garden or going up against a you know top 10 team, I think, uh, 
I just want to see it continue because I think if we have a really, really good, satisfying win Friday night, that sets up sets us up really well for uh, Big Ten season. Yeah, I mean, you talk about that second guy. It almost feels like one of those Miami Heat teams with Jimmy Butler where you obviously know who the alpha is. It's Taron Shannon Jr. And if Jimmy Butler or Taron Shannon Jr. Score, uh, struggle, the Miami Heat and the fighting line are probably losing that game. But how the Miami Heat have been so successful is one night it's Duncan Robinson, one night it's Bam Adebayo, mm-hmm. one night it's Tyler Hero. And it's pretty similar to this Illini team with Quincy Garrier, with Coleman Hawkins, with uh, Luke Goody even adding into the mix, and Marcus Damask. I mean, if two of those guys show up against uh, Missouri, um, Coleman Hawkins and Marcus Damask, Quincy Garrier and Coleman Hawkins, like uh, the combinations are endless of what guys step up and then just get that tough perimeter defense by Tyra Rogers and that's a nightmare situation for a team because not only do you have the human wrecking ball of Terrence Shannon Jr. Uh, plowing down the court, um, going coast to coast at an elite speed, you still have to deal with the shooting ability of Marcus Damask. You still have to deal with uh, Coleman Hawkins' ability to spread the floor out and dribble drive against a slower big man. So the list goes on of how Illinois can be effective in this Missouri game, and I think it's going to take a combination of two of those alongside a standard Terrence Shannon Jr. game. I think you nailed it. You know, that Miami Heat team, that's not a type of team that's going to make the NBA Finals every single year. But they are they were just hard to beat. They're, you know, difficult to guard. As you said, you just never know who the other guys were to step up. And in the right year, as they did a couple seasons ago, yeah, they can make that run to the Finals. Um, this team right now, uh, speaking of Illinois, I don't know if it's got national championship potential, but if they continue to build on the way we've been playing and, you know, a couple bounces here and there go right uh, in March, uh, that's, you know, the odds have to favor us at some point. You know, they've been stacked against us uh, a couple years in a row now. So a couple bounces go our way. You know, I, I can see us. Yeah, you know, you're right. Maybe there's, there has to be sweet 16 potential. I think that's kind of our goal right now, but, you know, one or two extra uh, bounces our way, we can talk Elite Eight and, you know, who knows, uh, Final Four. So I think you nailed it with that comparison. And one thing that gives me extreme positives of this Illinois basketball team, regardless of the individual efforts, is that they're playing team basketball. They're very fundamentally sound. They play tough. They play together. They rebound the basketball. They play elite perimeter defense. Nothing is ever easy for an opponent outside of a weird second half against Tennessee where they didn't rebound. They've been playing great fundamental basketball and you pair that with good individual performances. That's a winning combination of basketball right there. And we haven't heard anything about the players not liking each other. You know, they, they right. seem to really all kind of be unified on the court, having each other's back, you know, being supportive. Uh, it's, I think that's key. You know, last year, of course, by now, Sky Clark had left. You know, there was grumblings. Um, you know, Jaden Epps in a couple weeks doesn't get off the bench in that Northwestern game. I don't see or foresee something like that happening with this squad here. Um, you know, some of the freshmen aren't playing right now. <coughs> I don't think that's going to be an issue. But right now, I think Brad Underwood uh, has built a staff or, a, you know, a, a roster here that is all they know their roles. 
They know what they're here for. They know, you know, a lot of the guys he brought in are only going to be here for one season. So they want to maximize their time here in Champaign and they want to make that prominent March run. And so I think that's kind of the goal. Um, you know, last year we had, you know, guys, you know, having press conferences and just going way off tangent, talking about drinking energy drinks here and there. And you just, you, even the reporters and fans are like, what are you talking about? Um, we don't really have that here. You know, they, they seem to be pretty focused on what the goal is and that's Brad Underwood's goal and that's our goal. And so, you know, this is a much more likable team uh, than last year. Like you, we talk about that. Like, obviously I like hearing what Brad Underwood has to say, win or loss, but this year I'm not like running to a laptop to see a Brad Underwood press conference, even after the Marquette and Tennessee losses, because it like there wasn't anything outstanding where I was like, oh my God, I need to hear what Brad Underwood has to say about A, B, and C. It's just, we didn't rebound. Tyler Kolick is a great basketball player. I mean, that's like pretty much it. And that is so refreshing compared to last year being like, well, we weren't playing together, doing fart noises with his mouth. Like there, there is a huge difference of mentality of, Brad Underwood and his team. It's such a business-like mentality uh, for these guys, and it's so nice to see after last year. I mean, I think if you, you know, I'm just thinking of this topic right off the top of my head, but if you think back to his decisions this offseason, I think he'll tell you he wishes he brought in a quarter or point guard. Of course, that's obviously still a glaring weakness on this team. It's always great to have a quarterback, though. Yeah, <laughs> a quarterback, the <laughs> offense. That's what I was. Yes, <laughs> but uh, all the other guys, Damask, Garrier, you know, the, even Harmon, like yep. he's pretty much hit doubles, if not triples, with those guys. You know, whether it's on the basketball court or the culture in the locker room. So I think. Again, you know, Underwood knows right now he has it pretty good. And yeah, you know, he is a man who uh, tends to speak in hyperbole a little bit. But, you know, right now I kind of believe him. You know, when he says, you know, this team has as much potential as any team that he's had, I, I see it this time. So I can understand why, you know, he's in a good mood because I, I think the more I think about it, you know, last year there was struggles, you know, on the court, you know, yeah, we had a lot of highly rated guys there, but they were young and, you know, we just don't know what this new generation, like what they can and can't handle guys. You think are Underwood guys ended up not being Underwood guys. Um, I don't think we have that culture issue this year. I don't think we have those locker room issues this year. And so that's why I think Brad is uh, sleeping a lot easier at night um, this season compared to last season. I mean, obviously with an alpha, it's easy to, build a team, but you look at Brad Underwood's teams, whenever he's had an alpha, they've done pretty damn well. Io DeSumo, Kofi Coburn, and Terrence Shannon Jr. this year. Last year, first year, he really didn't have an alpha. Coleman Hawkins wasn't ready because he was behind uh, Io and Kofi in the pecking order of things. Um, and with Terrence Shannon Jr., it's tough being the new guy and starting to order people around. So, I, I think having that alpha is, is going to be the foundation of, of Brad Underwood teams. And I think that begins, that continues next year with even as a freshman with like a guy like Morez Johnson, like just a highly rated guy and a guy that you definitely should build around. And then you just keep getting those doubles and triples around them. And that's how you build the winning basketball feels like with Brad Underwood. Yeah. You figure Morez paired with, 
you know, I hope Amani plays a little bit more, you know, later on in the season. Just, uh, I think, you know, especially with big guys uh, in the Big Ten, it's all about yeah. strength and conditioning. So, you know, they just got to get bigger. But, you know, our next year's team is going to have a, you know, pretty decent uh, front court, um, you know, both size and talent-wise. And you hope a guy like Gibbs Lawhorn sticks around and, you know, he he can kind of step into a, a more prominent scoring role on next year's team. But, I mean, let's be honest this year. You know, it's kind of fruitless to talk about what next year's team is going to look like because, obviously, I think we've seen that Underwood, for the most part, is content that, uh, you know, two or three guys that are going to be on next year's team, you and I are watching on ESPN on a random Wednesday night, and we don't even know it. You know, it's going to be a transfer that's brought in, um, especially if this whole chemistry works and continues to work. I, I, if you're Underwood, why stray from it? Yeah, I mean, I guess just watch the Missouri Valley. You might get one of the guys right. <laughs> yeah. Note who wins a player of the year and uh, see what number he is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's get a score prediction for Illinois, Missouri. Uh, Sonny, go ahead. I'm going to say a nice, I don't know why I'm saying this, but 77 55. Illinois wins a good all-around team effort. This team's ready. They're not afraid. Um, they've played in much more intense situations already this season. Um, I think Brad knows he's got to win this game. He's done great for us otherwise, but he struggled in this bragging rights game, and um, he's going to have the, uh, the team roster ready. I think we're a 12 to 15 point difference uh, just talent-wise, but I think with these extra intangibles about – you know, Brad, know, Brad, knowing how better, uh, how big of a game this is, uh, I think we win this by 20 plus. Yeah, I, I have 82 to 71. I feel like garbage time, Missouri will show up later on. But I feel like Terrence Shannon Jr. and Coleman Hawkins and Dane Danger remember what happened last year where they got embarrassed. And I don't think they want to be embarrassed again. I think pride is so big for those three guys in particular with how some of those losses happened last year, regardless if it was against Missouri or in the NCAA tournament. I think their memory runs deep in the best possible way where they will not get embarrassed by even a Tennessee or a Marquette with a Tyler Kolek. I, I think they are going to have that revenge style of play uh, this year and really make Missouri pay for what they did last year. I hope you're right. You know, a, a big win Friday night. Uh, you know, I assume we take care of uh, Fairley Dickinson, and then you know, then we have Northwestern and Purdue coming up pretty early uh, in our conference schedule. You know, two of the better teams. Um, well, one of the better teams in the conference, and one of the better teams in the nation, if not the best team. So you want our confidence to be sky high going into that game because uh, you know it, it's going to be a challenge. Sonny, I want to thank you uh, for hanging out. It, this has been the Illini Cast, hosted by Sonny Verma and Austin Berkland as part of the Big Banter Podcast Network. Sonny, thank you, and happy thank you holidays. Guys. Take care.